One can cause 100 to feet, two can cause quite a multiple to feet. I don't remember the number. That is how peoples and nations separate. So uh, sometimes uh, when I say stuff like, okay, I'm stopping off in um, Mexico City for six hours or stopping off in Tokyo for six hours and go and take up a room in a hotel overlooking the city and start praying for the city. It might sound so absurd. It might sound like Jacob's got his own fancy um, spiritual ideas. And No, that is how these places are taken. Like I was talking about that. I got to... Can you, can you shut this off? good works because we've often said things about good works but we don't exactly know what good works are so we'll talk about good work Derek do you have pens here um, so the verse that we oh it's there thanks man. the verse that we begin with is uh, Matthew 5:16. Matthew 5:16. Uh, good works is a theme that's common in the Bible um, but it's we, we don't really know what it means or how it should work out. So Matthew 5.16, Jesus was the first one who began to talk about it when he said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so we'll break it up into three parts and look at it that way. So the first part is, let your light so shine before men. Second part is, uh, that they may see your good works. And that the third part is glorify your father. So we look at it that way. So that's from Matthew 5.16. And so um, to begin with, we'll have to trace it back to John 1.4. Because in John 1.4, it says that in him was life. And that life was the light of man. In him was life. And that life was the light of man. So that's in John 1.4. And then in John 8.12... It says, in John 8, 12, it says, I am the light of the world. Whoever, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. So Jesus makes two statements. One, he says, it says of Jesus that he was the light. He was, in him was life and, and that life was the light of men. In John 8, 12, it, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. So, Here's the thing, guys. The reason Jesus could say he was the light of the world was one, because he came from the Father. Two, because he spoke for the Father or spoke only what the Father was saying to him. Three, he knew he was... He knew that he was going back to the Father. He knew he was going back to the Father. And four, he knew that he was one with the Father. And given the fact that Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the bright radiance of the invisible God, it's natural that he be light in the world. And he said these things. He came because he came from the Father, because he spoke for the Father, because he knew he was going back to the Father, because he was one with the Father. He could walk the earth with absolute certainty that he was the light of the world and then in John 9 5 he makes a statement in John 9 5 he says that guys as long 
as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And part of the reason he said that was because he knew that he would be leaving the world. But if his followers could live this way, then he makes a statement later on saying, you now are the light of the world. Two reasons why he makes this statement. One, because he came and lived in those that believed in him. Two, he expects those that he lives in to follow the same pattern. You must understand, therefore, that you have come from the Father. I must understand that I, when I speak, I must speak for the Father. I must understand that regardless of the circumstances, I'm going back to the Father, so there's no question of compromising here on earth. And fourthly, I must be one with the Father. And if I am, then the, then the brilliant radiance of Christ in me will still continue to be light in the world. The problem is not that Jesus Christ does not live in you. He lives in you. The light of the world lives in you. The problem is, is it showing? And it begins to show when these four things come into effect. Where you realize that you've come from the Father, that you do not belong to anybody else. That nobody else owns you. I think I've said this to you before. Eddie's son, Paul, once had a word that he gave me. And in that word, and I really treasure the word, and I'm not sharing it here to tell you how wonderful I am, because you know that regardless. Uh, <laughs> in, in this word, uh, he, he, it's, it's, a, it's his dream or vision he saw, where he says, Jacob, you were like a coin. And God was twirling the coin between his fingers. And the strange thing about the coin was, it did not have an imprint. And he said, while he was watching it, one of the things God told him is, it does not have an imprint because he does not belong to anybody. Meaning no one has put their print on him. And this was years ago and I remember saying to the Lord, Father, want to belong to you, do not want to belong to anybody else. First belong to you. So that nobody else can stamp an imprint. No one can put Canadian imprint, Caesar's imprint, King's imprint, people's imprint. Nobody owns you except God. That's the whole idea of I've come from the Father. Then we choose to serve each other, but we belong to him. It's our day, we belong to him, but we serve everybody. And so the whole point is, if I understand that I come from the Father, that I draw everything that I am from the Father, if I'm able to understand that when I speak, in the way I conduct myself, in the way I talk, that I represent the Father, if I understand that I'm going back to him, so even if someone were to threaten me, kill me, take things away from me, that I would still not compromise the fact that I belong to somebody, I'm going back to him, there is nothing you can do that'll change that. And lastly, he was one with the Father, as in he had this ability to be in constant communion with the Father. Now, the light of the world, Christ who is in you, begins to show. And the strange thing is Jesus did not offer a third alternative. He said, I am the light. And then the only other thing is darkness. This is why Jesus called hell outer darkness. Jesus calls hell outer darkness. There is no third alternative. There is Jesus who is light or there is darkness. And so when Matthew 5.16 says, let your light shine, it then assumes that you and I have Christ living in us who is the light of the world and that you and I will follow the same pattern that he follows so that that light becomes evident. Any questions? Before we go on. Any questions? Paul said the same thing in Ephesians 5.8. In Ephesians 5.8, Paul says, at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He doesn't say, now you are walking in the light. He says, once you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And the strange thing is, guys, this whole idea of light as in God being the brilliant radiance of uh, Jesus Christ being the visible, brilliant radiance of the invisible God who now lives in you. The strange thing about this is this light that lives in you, this person called Christ who lives in you, has the ability to give life through you. He has the ability to give life through you. We don't think of ourselves like that, eh? We don't think of ourselves as life-giving souls. 
when you go to work tomorrow morning you do not normally go to work thinking as i go to work today wherever i go in decay i can bring life in decay i can bring life but for this reason you have been left as a colony on the earth for this reason this is how they used to um uh, every every empire that existed conquered the world through this simple process they would go invade a place then they would take a bunch of people and leave them in that place why because now they had to spread their culture through these people that were left in that place god's doing the same thing hey you are light this light can give life i live in you you are life giving jacob tomorrow when you walk in the world know this that in places of decay i can use you to bring life if that is not true then what is isaiah 61 one about isaiah 61 one says the spirit of the lord is upon me for he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor to open blind eyes to set captives free to heal the broken hearted to proclaim liberty to those that are in prison to declare jubilee of freedom this is why the spirit of the lord is upon me the spirit of the lord is not upon me so i can speak in tongues these are absolute truths and realities that we must embrace and wrap ourselves in and when we don't wrap ourselves in this then something else happens the spirit gives life the flesh profits nothing and so then what happens is we begin to engage in things of the flesh that are so pointless it's like a cycle that goes on and on and on and my god every time you get stuck in that cycle know who is missing did you hear that every time you get stuck in that cycle know who is missing and the one who is missing is the spirit of because where he is there is zest space life liberty where he is not there is a lack of zest there is restrictive space there is decay and there is the beginning of bondage so every time in the routine of your life it doesn't matter whether you're a nursing mom or whether you're an 8 year old who got baptized or whether you're a 90 year old who's still walking strong it doesn't matter whether you got a job or whether you don't have a job at the end of the day regardless of whether you're pregnant or not the point is that there is something to the rigmarole of life that comes because we begin to focus on that which does not profit while the spirit gives life any question Hey, carpentry wasn't a very exciting job, eh? I mean, every time I go watch a carpenter, this is the ocean they are in. It wasn't the most exciting thing that Jesus was doing, but trust me, he had zest, space, life. It's not the it's not the routine of your job that makes life boring. It is the absence of the spirit of God. The cool thing about you walking as one who have Jesus Christ the light of life in you is that it does two things guys on one hand it makes obvious that which is ugly that which is sinful on the other hand it shines on things and brings out a beauty that is true this light has the ability to do two things one it exposes that which is ugly and sinful Two, it has the ability to cause things to shine in true beauty. That's what this light light does. It is a plumb line, not by the words you say. It's by a very presence that things will happen. Where, where on one hand, without saying anything, you have the ability to walk into a place and you become a plumb line that exposes that which is not good. On the other hand, you also have the ability to shine on things that look dull but have amazing. Uh, potency that's what this light does and both are necessary because eh? one of the things we christians have become is we are so not able to coexist with the world 
and we are so irrelevant when we roam around in the world. Who wants to listen to you? They know what's going to come out of you. And then when you compare Christians to what American Christianity is, it gets even worse. And boy, Christianity has been guilty of crimes in the past. Terrible crimes in the past, done in the name of Christianity. About time a group of people rose up who have the ability to be light, life-giving, life-giving. Life-giving does not mean that I have to preach the gospel. Life-giving means it brings into a place of decay that which God wants to give, and that is life. Because if we are not a plumb line, then we can't be countercultural. But at the same time, if we don't shine on things and bring out their true beauty, then we are irrelevant in the world. Any questions before we go on? Any questions before we go on? I love guys who have strong Christian values and do well in the world. I love guys who have strong Christian values and are super wealthy. I love guys who have strong Christian values and are sophisticated. I love guys who have strong Christian values and can talk about current events in the world. And because of their strong values, they bring into every conversation truth, life, beauty, and a stance that is still countercultural. We've got to stop being Christian. Got to break out of that because it's irrelevant in the world. Any question? You'll have to speak louder because of the babbling brook behind me. They fit in this amazing place called good work, good work, people who do good works without even knowing God. Classic example, Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. It says that there was a man called Cornelius who was a centurion from the Italian regiment who was living in Jerusalem and that he was well known for his arms that he gave to the poor. God is attracted by those that begin to practice the way he is without even knowing him. I just marvel at people like that. I find them in every religion. People who do not know Jesus Christ, but live lives that are better than Christians who know Jesus Christ. Pardon? Yeah, made in the image of God. And there are many like that. But the fact still remains that there is only one name under heaven and earth through whom we can be saved. And that name is the name of Jesus Christ. But good works attracts God's attention. Every time in the Bible you read about someone who did not know God, but was generous, gave, and was indulging in good works, somehow he would find God. Because he was beginning to reflect, or she was beginning to reflect the nature of God without even knowing God. How much more us? Okay, any other questions? Bye. We must stop being Christians in the sense, sometimes when we go to a place, in, instead of being able to relate to people around us, we separate ourselves as a, as a separate group of people. I rarely find Christians going to concerts. I rarely find Christians going to anything that is perhaps cultural. Everything just focuses around a place where Christians gather around Christ. Surely there's a world out there that we are supposed to percolate. Surely there's a way to relate to people other than telling them, do you know Jesus Christ? Surely there's a way to sit at a table and say, we don't drink, and then stop all conversation. Surely there's a better way. These things are important. We are a counterculture. 
but they must not become the label that we wear because in one second we cut people off and the communication ends. And then who will take care of all the wrongs that have been done in the name of Christianity if we already cut ourselves off? Yeah, things that on one hand we know we will not compromise in, but on the other hand to be able to, to, be able to relate, ah, oh, maybe become like that, eh? I mean, look at, our, look at the one we follow. Look at the one we follow. Hangs out with fishermen who have a foul mouth. Hangs out with prostitutes who nobody wants to approach. Hangs out with tax collectors who no one will talk to. Hangs out with thieves and the scum of the earth. These are the men he hangs out with. And then he also can wear a robe that they gambled over because it was made of fine cloth. And he hangs out with Pharisees and Sadducees and the rich young ruler. And he's at ease when he's sitting at a table at a banquet. And he's at ease when a woman of ill repute known throughout the town comes and weeps and wipes his feet with her hair. This is the man we follow. As you get older, may you not be known as that Christian grandma who as soon as anybody comes near you is going to spring the Christ trap on them. May you have a conversation. Same applies to grandpas. And I'm getting there. Right on. Go ahead, Jim. Become like this, guys. This is who we are because of who he is. I'm not asking us to be anything that he wasn't. We're not trying to be seeker-friendly. We're just trying to be like him. First Peter 3.15, it says it this way. First Peter 3.15 says, Be prepared to give an answer to anybody who, anybody who asks you the reason for your hope. And so when I read that, one of the things that grabs me is, is the reason for my hope showing? Is the reason for my hope showing? And I want, as I walk the earth, to let the reason for my hope show. And in the process, let them talk. And then it says, uh, uh, um, so that you may answer them and give them a reason for your hope. And that when you do it, you will do it with gentleness and with respect. I love that. And so, oh God, I pray for this church that all of us seated here may walk this earth oozing with the reason for our hope so that even if you have a conversation with me about your God that is not a God you will itch to ask me why I am different and why I ooze the hope that I have and then I'll be prepared to give you an answer and I'll give it with gentleness and with respect he might still end up being a preacher before he's eight if he's exposed to this too much longer
there's this little kid in india in bangalore um <laughs> whenever anyone sets up the board he goes and starts imitating me and uh, does such a i mean when i see him i laugh because he does such a good job eh he doesn't know what he's saying but he's a little kid and yeah just on the side when i saw shallow guys the next thing that they may see your good works let your light shine that they may see your good work that's the next one let your light so shine that they may see your good works so let's look at good works and then we may not get to the last bit Just so you know, everyone's watching. Okay, so what does good works involve? When we say good works, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. So what does good works involve? One, good works involves giving, not taking, and giving life, not taking. Good works involves giving life, not taking. but jacob isn't that obvious no nowadays christianity is willing to compromise and take life compromise and do harm for the sake of a greater good good works involves giving not taking life it's from matthew 10:10 10, 10, sorry um john 10:10 10, 10, which says jesus came to give life so a good works will not say that uh, abortion is okay good works does not take life good good works won't shoot a doctor who performs abortions that's not good works for the sake of saving the baby good works does not indulge in social justice causes where someone is harmed so that the poor may benefit so it's important nowadays to put this down two good works nurtures good works nurtures the image of god and creation good works nurtures the image of god in people and creation as in it does every what it simply means is guys good works if if god says indulge in good works it will always try to restore the dignity of man it will never do anything that causes the dignity of man to suffer good works will always nurture the image of god in man as in it will bring dignity and two it will take care of creation it may not go hug trees but it ain't happy with destroying creation either and these are important um things because christians are known not to think like this good works is done with the intent good works is done with the intent of being a benefit to someone being a benefit to someone being a benefit to someone by pouring out the benefits you have being a benefit to someone by pouring out the benefits you have Don't worry man I'll just keep uh, turning this thing around. Okay. C- could someone just uh, applaud him or something? He's feeling a little dis Oh, you got it here. Good works is being a benefit to someone by pouring out the benefits that you have. And that's the very idea of being a benefactor. The Bible has this category called benefactors. Benefactors are those that do things to benefit others but they do it not by taking up an offering they do it by <laughs> pouring out the benefits that they have um let's say you have tons of bandages and medicines at home and you worked a 16 hour shift and then you decide that now nah, 16 hour shift really tired haven't cooked for the kids at home mark and do that today I got to go down to this place in Cloverdale where there are some that need and out of your you pour out your strength your treasure your talent your time 
And sometimes you have to do it sacrificially. Good works meets good works meets temporal needs. Good works meets temporal needs and telescopes the Father and telescopes the Father. As in all you're doing is meeting the temporal, material, uh, immediate needs of people. But in the process, you telescope the Father. As in, they get to see someone who belongs to the Father and eventually get to see the Father. It telescopes the Father. I, I know I've said this here before, but uh, someone said this, that God is a distant star. You are the telescope. To many, to many, God is a distant star. And you are the telescope. Good works is faith. Good works is faith. Love and works combined. It's a faith, love and works combo. Where do we find this? James chapter 2 verse 16. If you find someone who is shivering in the cold, don't go and say to him, oh, I bless you, stay warm. May you miraculously be warm today and walk away. And to do that, James says, is faith without work. So in James chapter 2, it says that love your neighbor as you love yourself. Not love your neighbor instead of yourself. Love your neighbor as. Changes everything, eh? What you desire for yourself, desire the, with the same passion things for your neighbor. We get scared because we think the Bible is saying, love your neighbor instead of yourself. It's not saying instead, it is saying as. And so, good works is when faith, love and works collide. While we go about this, guys, we've got to make sure that the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing. That we don't practice good works with the intent of being recognized. Jesus was so put off by that, eh? He would say that some of these guys, they go and they do their good works in the open so that people can acknowledge them. So on one hand, that is part of the truth that I'm not to indulge in good works by after doing good works, take a photograph of me and then put it on Twitter saying, privileged to be serving. That doesn't really help. Was my great joy to serve today. And then you stand next to us. That you don't have to tweet that picture. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. The message puts it this way: don't indulge in theatrics. And yet in 1 Timothy 5.25, in 1 Timothy 5.25, it says, anybody who does good works, it will eventually be known. But you are not trying to make it known. It says in 1 Timothy 5.25, good works are obvious. Even those ones that are not obvious will not remain hidden forever. Why? Because a city on a hill cannot be hidden. It will show. But it won't show because you tweeted it. Guys, uh, just want to take a shortcut and go and say something else. Do not think that good works is some charitable token act that we have to indulge in annually. This is the heart of the Father. When you look at the number of um, scriptures that are in the Bible, starting with Matthew 5 where it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father. Then you go to Ephesians, uh, sorry, then you go to... Um, Ephesians 2.10, and it says, We are God's workmanship, created for good works in Christ Jesus. Before you were even founded, before you were even formed, there were good works that were appointed to Rosalind that she needs to walk in while she is here on earth. This is how critical it is to God that we engage in this thing called good works. In 2 Timothy 3.16, this blew my mind. 2 Timothy 3.16 is a scripture that most old Christians know. And by old, I don't mean age. 
anyone who has been around for a while. And here's what it says. All scripture is God-breathed. And it is for correction, rebuke, admonishment, and encouragement. So that, so that we may be fruitful in good works. That even the scripture that we learn is supposed to make us people that walk the earth engaging in good works. Why? Because this is a God who poses rain on the good and the evil, who causes the sun to shine on the good and the evil. He doesn't demarcate. He justice who he is. He is good. A good, good father can only do good, good works. And if a good, good father has good, good children, they and the father do good, good works. And so this is critical to his heart. And so please don't think that we are, do, we are talking about this because we need to do uh, a soup kitchen. A soup kitchen is the easiest thing in the world to do. You only have to do it twice a year and feel happy. Yep. From them. Absolutely. Second Corinthians 9 8. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. One of the reasons God is willing to resource, supply, give you money is not so that you can um, uh, do anything else but first indulge in this thing called, thing called good works. Just imagine it, eh? You want to increase in money? This is the right reason, so that I may abound in good works. And as you abound in good works, listen to me businessmen, listen to me entrepreneurs, listen to me those that want to make money. May you make money because you have set your heart on good works. And what are the good works? Why do we do good works? We, we've been talking about the reasons here. It doesn't matter how old you get, doesn't matter whether you have a job, or doesn't matter whether you're retired or still working. Good works will always be furnished with actual money. Why? Because it's dear to the Lord's heart. Because he ain't going to stop doing good because someone raises a fist at him and thumbs his nose at him. I've told you this. and uh, I mean, this story illustrates it better than any other story. I was with Roland Tan in a little town called Colchester in the UK. A man came in who had fallen into a... a, 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 a what do you call those things? A ditch. And he had affected his foot. It was swollen. He comes in because it's a men's breakfast. Has breakfast. We ask if anyone wants healing. He comes up. We pray for him. He gets healed in 45 seconds. The knee goes back to normal. It's fully flexible. And then we ask him the question. Would you like to now know Jesus Christ who healed you? And he said, the breakfast was great. My knee is healed. I don't need Jesus. I'm out of here. And he walked away. And I wasn't outraged. I was blown away that God, who knows exactly what this man is going to do, still fed him and healed him. Because he is good. If we can grasp the fact that he is good and good works is something he wants to do through his children here on earth, then we won't see this as part of Christian activity. We'll see it as part of what fathers and sons do. Colossians 1.10 That you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bear, every way bearing fruit in every good work. That you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. It's not that we aren't doing good works, guys. We've done good works in Shillong. We've done good works in Mongolia. We're doing good works in Nandigama. We're doing good works in a place, in other places in India. We've done great work in Vietnam. We've done good works everywhere. But now it's time to do good works locally. How? As churches, as families, as individuals. And by churches, I mean every church that meets in a house should now think about what can we do? Families and individuals and churches now beginning to engage in this thing that the Father's heart throbs for. Because here's the thing. Being, heavenly, being heavily involved in doing good works towards unbelievers 
is foundational to creating opportunities to give an account of the faith within us. Doing good works creates opportunities that are foundational in telling people, hey, the reason I am the way I am and the reason I do the way I do things is because of the Christ who lives in me. Good works becomes an opportunity. Sometimes good works will require standing up for those that don't have a voice. Sometimes good works will require standing up for those that don't have a voice. Like babies who are being aborted, like the poor, like the disenfranchised, like the refugee, These are the ones that sometimes need a voice, not a voice against, not legal uh, things first, but a voice to first speak. And once we begin to go down this road, if anybody here, if one of the house uh, churches that meets in a house in Vancouver from here begins to take up a cause like this, then know that it will meet ridicule, it will have disapproval thrown at it, and that it will be scorned. But sometimes good works requires that you be persecuted. And sometimes the persecution will come from within the church. Any questions before we go on? Okay. Go ahead. Is it ever possible to do too many good work? Yes. And you won't be poorer for it, someone will be richer for it. Yeah. It is possible to do a lot. Uh, guys, here's the thing, eh? We are told to be wise and uh, we are told to steward things well. And what we mean by that is do not go to the extremes, Jacob. Be generous, but don't be too generous. Do good works, but don't do too much good work. So we always put these limits so that we don't go overboard. And yet the thing is, thank God God doesn't think like that. God doesn't go through his generosity with me and say, ah, oh, shucks, gave him too much in the first two months. He doesn't do that. We are the ones who say, you've got to be good stewards. You don't want to just go extreme. You want, don't want to get too generous. As if there is something wrong to being too generous. As long as you are not God in someone's life, too generous is father like God, is, is like father God. There's, there's nothing called too generous because he is. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if, if I indulge in good works, if I, ignore, if, if I neglect my wife and kids and dog uh, and take care of someone else's wife and kids and dog, now uh, that's not good work, that's a bad work. Yeah. Yeah. So, here are the three levels that um, good Good works can. Don, I don't know what you did, but it's working again. Amazing, huh, what he can do? He just walks towards it and it comes on. Actually, what happened is by mistake, I turned it off. <laughs> okay, guys, um, here, are three, here are three levels of engagement in terms of good works. One is good occupations. Good occupation. 
And by that I mean um, engage in occupations where you can show forth your good life to people. Engage in occupations through which you show your life to others. Second, good works in the church. This is when we are aware, we are aware of those that, of those that may need help in church. And we benefit them. I'm very surprised always when I hear stories in this church of how someone was in need and someone else went and did something for them. I hear it about two months after the event. And I'm so glad that this is not something that has to go through the church. It happens between you. Where people are helping each other, where jobs are being found, where money is being transferred, where cars are given away, where plane tickets arrive, where rents are paid, where houses are open. It's crazy. Oh, by the way, there's this guy called Evan, um, who's from Vernon. Uh, uh, his folks go to Eric's church. Evan had a word given, given to him when he came for the young adults meeting that God will have him come to Vancouver. And the guy is finishing his uh, um, course in two weeks and he decided to obey the prophetic word and he is moving to Vancouver. So he needs a place to stay. Cool. And then he'll find his own job and find a place to stay. But initially, he may need a place to stay. So just thought I'll throw that in. First uh, Timothy 5.10. It talks about the women. And when I was reading this uh, verse in First Timothy 5.10, I was thinking of the older women in this church. Uh, and here's what it says about um, uh, uh, the older women in church. They are well reported for good works. They've brought up children. They've lodged strangers. They've washed the saints' feet. They've relieved the afflicted. They've diligently followed every good work. It was part of what the older women in a church were supposed to do. And as I was reading this, I could think of different incidents and different people in this church who've done some of these things. So it's not that we're not doing this. All we're getting is more intentional in terms of how we do it. And the third category is good works in the community. Good works in our neighborhood. Good works in our neighborhood. Good works in our neighborhood. And that's when you take up a project as a church or you join with other churches or you take up a project as an individual or a family and it gives you the opportunity to do something for someone in the neighborhood. Acts chapter 9 verse 36. There was this woman called Tabitha whose other name was Dorcas. She died. And when they died, they brought Peter to her house. And when they brought Peter to her house, they said, look at the stuff that she used to tailor for the poor. May some of your good works be recognized only when you die, and we won't raise you up. Because with Tabitha, she was <laughs> raised up again. And let them, let, may, may most of the good things about you be said when you can't hear them. So Tabitha was one woman like that. May I suggest to you that in Acts chapter 4, when people brought and placed land and possessions and money at the feet of the apostles, it says, and it was distributed to each according to their need, that there was a distribution there too. But good works happen. And so, I want to end with this thought that guys, as families, as individuals, as a church, as leaders of house churches, Begin to come up with projects for your neighborhood. Some of you are gifted in this. Gifted in this. Budget has never been an issue in this church. Our numbers may be small, but we've never attempted anything that is within our reach. It's always beyond our reach. So when you look at the different house churches in different places, what is it that you can do in your neighborhood? Why are we doing this? Because it is the heart of God. That's why we're doing it. We're not doing this because we want to do some civic duty. We're doing this because it is the heart of God. I remember being in India and um, 
talking about good works and a man came up to me and said, I've got some land that I want to sell so that you can take it and use it for money for good works. And then he comes back and says, can you give me two more months because I have a feeling the price of land is going to go up. I met him last week and he said, oh, by the way, just want to tell you that the price of land really shot up. Is it the right time to sell so that you can have more money to do good work? I'm thinking to myself, where do these crazy people come from? He didn't want to sell the land then because he had the strange feeling that it's going to shoot up in price. And it did. I'm calling on myself. I'm calling on the leaders of this church. I'm calling on churches that meet in houses. I'm calling on the house church leaders. I'm calling us to take this part of the heart of the Father up. I pray God today that you and I will really take this seriously. I really think you do with every teaching that is taught here. And that you go home and you say, Father, in my neighborhood, can you show me something that we can do that will begin to have us reach out as your children because you're a good, good father. Some of us can do that as individuals, some of us as families. Well, what if we did, as a, it did it as individuals, as families, and as husbands? What if we engaged in all three levels? Where in your neighborhood you begin to do something and not a token thing, something that lasts over a period of time so that relationships are built. Why? Because at the end of the day, if you have good lives, if you build good homes, and if you engage in good works, it authenticates the proclamation of the Good news. Good words are nice. Good works are nicer. In good works is a combination of faith, love and works. Let's just pray. Then we'll pray for uh, Annie and Tate. Does someone want to bring Tate back up? Or all the kids back up? I wonder what Sheldon and Jeevan are doing with them. Scares me, that combination. Okay, let's just pray for what we just pray, uh, taught. Father, never thought that good works was part of your heart, thought it was the Christian thing to do. But you just hate that phrase, Christian thing to do. You just dislike that phrase. Many times you've used phrases like, be holy because I am holy. And now you're saying, be guys who do good works because I do good works. And so we as a church now come and say, we're sorry we didn't clue on earlier. But now that you've made it very obvious in terms of how you do things here on earth, counters in. Across this room, starting with me and then with other leaders, house church leaders, ones who are gifted, ones who have businesses, ones who have a heart for this, ones who like doing things that bring justice, bring kindness, bring mercy. Oh God, would you cause to rise in this church? People that will say, here is something that I think we can do. Here is something that we can do as a group of three, as a family, as a church. Here is something we can do so that, oh God, from us, through us, will rise to you the aroma of good works that begins to affect people. Our benefits being poured out towards somebody else. And in the process, oh God, would you allow us to build relationships? Would you give us opportunities to tell people about the hope that is in me? The hope that is in me. There has never been a time where a people go and indulge in good works and it doesn't open up the heart of people. But if salt loses its saltiness, what use is it? Grant us this prayer, Jesus. Enable us, Holy Spirit. Be blessed, Father, because as we do this, they will see you and glorify you. This is what we ask for today. We thank you for another prayer that you're going to answer. In Jesus' name, amen. You know the way the um, uh, message uh, phrases Matthew 5.16 is uh let me just find it can someone read matthew 5 16 from the message 
Matthew 5.16 from the message. Oh, here it is. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you will prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Cool, no? Alrighty, any thoughts, any questions, anything you want to add? Is Tate in the house? Tate, Annie, if you can come up. I'm just going to ask uh, uh, Derek and Sue uh, to come up too. And, uh, just lay hands, me, you too. And uh, just come up and lay hands on uh, Annie and Tate. And just pray that the Holy Spirit will fill them. Afresh, anew. Because this is a moment that they have chosen to be obedient. Every time a, someone is obedient, heavens open. And every time heavens open, God pours out something new. Obedience opens the heavens. So I'm going to ask you guys to just pray over Tate and Annie. And church, pray that as they are yielded in obedience, may the Spirit of God fill them afresh. Yeah? God tells us to tell you that you are a young man that desires the wisdom of God. He will run after the wisdom of God. So, so we pray that over you, Tate, that you will be full of God's wisdom and that you would speak God's love in your life, keep reflecting that love to others. We ask you, Lord, now, And I realize it's not only the breaking of darkness that's over her, but it's breaking of life. So, Lord, may your Holy Spirit in space keep step obedience that she child God. So we just pray that your Holy Spirit for upon um, break into her life, break um, into every dark spot, corner that May your light shine. Amen. Father, as a body, we pray and commit her into your precious hands. May the Holy Spirit just fill her, Lord, from the top of her head to the tip of her toes, Lord. She would feel that she is a new birth child of God. The kingdom of God has opened up to her, Lord. There is no limit unrestricted access that she has with you in the face in the presence of God she will walk and be strengthened every day father I, I see a nurturing spirit that you have given her that her heart will be so drawn to people who need your love and that she will be so generous with your love with others in the name of Jesus over this over her
you need prayer, feel free to come up and someone will pray with you. So I'll ask Joan and Jillian and Anne uh, Mebs and uh, Derek uh, and uh, Jeevan's not here, Jeevan, to come and pray for people. So, um, hey, do you want to just end with that? Raise a hallelujah. Do, 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 do. Can you pull it, Ryan? And guys, go say hey, hi to Larry and Laurie, and to Shika and Shubin, and to um, Prashant's friend Abel. Uh, yeah, just make.